Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. All right, so if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your mobile phone, um, you can turn with me to the book of Romans. We're going to be in chapter number 12. And the the book of Romans is actually one of the more popular books, and it's in the New Testament. It's actually found just after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the book of Acts. And uh, if you actually find yourself in the book of First or Second Corinthians, you went a little too far. So Romans chapter number 12, uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 1, and it reads, <clears throat> I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, Having the gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection." Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with, associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, I just want to welcome you back to the final part of this series titled A Call to Worship. And uh, we've been talking over the last several weeks um, you know, in this series that we're the children of God, right? And we are all called to worship him. We are called to live a life of worship to the creator of all things. And, and, and so we began really this series by just getting very foundational and asking a basic question, which is what is worship? Because lots of people have lots of ideas, but it doesn't mean that we're right. And so we asked that, that question. So what is worship? What makes an act of worship worship? I mean, is it something that I do? Is it something that I feel? Is it you know, a skill? Is it a tradition? Is it my attitude? Is it my state of mind? Is it something else? What makes worship 
worship. And, and so in, in the first week we, the series, we broke down the definition of worship, you know, basically into two essential categories. The first category is the idea that worshiping God is centered on bowing down. It's a physical act of bowing down in the presence of God. Worship is focused on a person getting on his or her knees and bowing down in awe and respect and submission to God. And it's an outward physical act of reverence. This is the first category of worship that we, we talked about. And the second category of worship is found mainly in the letters of the apostles. And it's the idea that worship is really about serving God with our actions and our attitudes. Our worship is about the things that we do with our lives and our bodies and even our possessions. That worship is an internal devotion to God that manifests itself out into the world through service, the service that we render to God. And those are the two essential categories of what worship is. And, and, and that's what we talked about. And we talked about that in all forms of worship, regardless of what it is, whether it's a physical overt expression of worship or whether it's an internal devotion resulting in us serving God, at the center of what worship really is, is God. God is the center of our worship. Okay? And this is important because we have this tendency to make worship about us. But worship is not about us. It's not about what we like. Worship is not about our musical preferences. Worship is not about our, our opinions. It's not about our own feelings. Worship isn't about us at all. It's all about God. And, and, and the central idea of worshiping God, even what the word worship means, is the fact that God is worthy. That's what worship's all about, is God being worthy. Worship is about God being worthy of our praise, our thanksgiving, and our devotion. Worship is about the fact that God is worthy of us bowing down before him as our king. Worship is about uh, the fact that God um, is worthy of us living our daily lives for him. Worship is about, is, is about God being worthy of the very best that we have to offer in every area of our lives, whether it's at home, or school, or work, or in our relationships, or hanging with our friends, or... Even being here at church, God is worthy of our time. He's worthy of our talent. He's worthy of our stuff in every area of our lives. And God is worthy of us coming here every Sunday to sing to him with all of our hearts and to listen to the word being preached and to fellowship with his people. God is worthy. That's what worship is about, him being worthy. And, in, and, and then in week two, we, we took this understanding of what worship is about God being worthy, and we applied that to the subject of music and, 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 and song. And the conclusion that we came to is that worshiping God through music is ultimately about God being so worthy, it doesn't matter what song we sing. It doesn't matter the music that we sing to. What matters is that God is so worthy that we can sing praises to him and give thanks to him, even when the music isn't our personal choice or our favorite song. Okay? And the reason why is because we know that that music connects someone in our church family emotionally to God. And if it connects somebody to God, then we're going to glorify God by singing with all of our heart because God is worthy. And then in week three, while I was gone, you watched a, a video by Pastor Francis Chan preaching on the subject of of. of of taking the reading the word of God seriously because because God is absolutely worthy of you getting to know him through his word. In fact, you know, you can actually worship God. I mean, reading the word is actually an act of worship. You worship God and get to know him better when you read the word. And then last week we asked the question, how can someone who seems to 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 legitimately or to sincerely worship God, how can someone like that, you know, whether it's through music or through their life, how can someone like that eventually one day, you know, fall away? How can they stop believing in Christ? They seem to sincerely worship God, but then at some point in their life, they say they don't believe anymore. How can someone 
fall away. And we, we took, looked at that last week. And, and, and what we discovered is the reason why someone can fall away has everything to do with, not that they worship, but why they worship God to start with. You see, why you worship God has everything to do really with whether or not you actually have a relationship with him. You see, if you come to Christ so that he can make you feel better about who you are, or if you come to Christ because you want to be a better person, if you come to Christ because you're hoping that God's going to bless you and prosper you, or you come to Christ because he's going to fix some problem in your life, you might not actually have a real relationship with him. Okay, and the reason why is simple. You have to put your faith in Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that those things are bad. Okay, and understand when you belong to Christ, he can certainly grow you to be, you know, to be a better person. Right. He can certainly grow you to be to feel better about who you are. And he can Jesus can fix any problem in your life, no matter how big it is, if it's his will to fix it. But 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 these are not the reasons that you actually come and put your faith in Christ. Okay? These are not the reasons that you put your faith in him because these are temporal issues. These are in this life issues. Okay? The reason is 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 the reason why you come to faith in Christ is you come to him because no matter what happens in this life, it doesn't matter how good this life is or bad this life is, all right? It doesn't matter about the rest of the temporal stuff. What matters is that you and I and the whole human race we face an eternal problem, not a temporal problem, but an eternal problem. And the problem that we face is that we are broken sinners destined to stand before God one day and be judged by him. And that there is nothing, nothing you can do to save yourselves from the judgment and the wrath of God. And because of that, we face an eternity apart from God in torment. We face an eternity in hell. And that is the problem we face. That's the universal problem that everybody faces. We are all sinners, broken, helpless, and hopeless. But then God, in his mercy and his grace, sent his son to die in our place so that we can be set free from the penalty of our sins. The righteous dying for the unrighteous. Okay, God took upon Himself to make a way for us to be rescued from the coming judgment. And, and all we got, we must do, is believe in the good news of the gospel and place our hope and our faith in Christ alone, God in the flesh, to save us. And that right there is the only reason. That is the only reason to truly come to Christ. That right, right there is the very root of all of our worship to God. We worship God because He rescued us. Right? That is the primary re- reason we worship God. He reached down to save us. You know, that's why we bow down before him. That's why we sing the songs that we do. That's why we live lives of worship. He saved us through his son, Jesus Christ. And then on top of that, in addition to that, then he takes care of us and he strengthens us and he fills our heart full of joy and peace. And he makes us better people. And we certainly praise him and glorify him for those reasons. But the primary reason we worship God is by grace and his mercy decided that he's going to save the likes of us sinners like you and me. That's why those who are truly saved, that's why they worship God. And if you truly understand the score and you truly understand the gospel, and that's why you put your faith in Christ, you're not going to fall away. Now, today, we're going to wrap up this series. I'm going to focus on the idea of living the life 
of worship. And, and this is really appropriate for us because we talked about in the week one that when Christ was here on earth, the, the word for worship was proskuneo. Okay, that's the Greek word that, that was used while Christ was on earth. That meant worship, which means to physically bow down before someone. And that was totally appropriate at the time because Christ was physically on the earth. People could come and get in his presence and bow down before him and worship him. And then one day, as the word of God tells us, that Christ will physically come back to the earth. And, 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 as he do, and, and when he does, you know, proskuneo, all right, bowing down before him will be relevant again because we will be in his presence once again. He will physically be here and we will physically bow down before him. That is why the word for worship, proskuneo, is used in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation describes the return of Christ and it talks about how we're going to interact with him and, and worship him you know, well into the future. Now, for now, though, until that day comes, we're not physically in the presence of Christ. Now, Christ is with us spiritually. He is in us, but he is not physically here on the earth. And because of that, the idea of worship has transitioned from this overt external uh, act of bowing down to a more internal devotion. Okay, in this dimension of worship uh, that we're talking about here was, was described by Paul uh, and the other apostles in their letters that we find in the New Testament. And this form of worship is called latruo. Latruo. And that, that, that essentially means service to God. And, and this kind of worship begins as an internal devotion to Christ because that's where Christ is. If you're a believer in Christ, come to lives comes to live inside of you. He's inside of us. And so it's an internal de- devotion that in turn motivates us and prompts us to take action. And that is made manifest out in the world around us in our acts of service to God and his people. That's what Lutruo uh, is, is about. And, and it's about serving God because of our devotion then to Christ. And this form of worship, as we have talked about, is best described by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 12. And it's this dimension of worship, Latruo, that I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about why this kind of worship is appropriate for us in this age. And I want to talk about how we actually accomplish this kind of worship. So let's... Uh, Look at Romans 12 again, uh, verses 1 and 2 we read, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, this is a very short text, but there's a, a lot to deal with here. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take this little bit of a text right here, and we're going to take some time this morning and just take it one baby step at a time and kind of pull this apart into smaller pieces and kind of look up close and personal at what Paul's trying to communicate here. And I want to start with a word in this text here that, that Paul uses over and over and over again in all of his letters. And, and the word that he uses here is the word therefore. Now, I know that might seem like a strange word to start with, but, but this word therefore is really super important if you really want to understand what Paul is getting at. If you want to understand what Paul is teaching about Christ and, and the Christian faith. And if you really want to understand what Paul's talking about, you need to understand this word because Paul uses this word over and over again as he connects ideas together. It's a connecting word. Okay, and, and this in this text here, he uses it to connect what he's about to say in chapter 12 to what he's already been talking about in this letter, which means that 
Everything that Paul is about to say after this word, therefore, has a context. Okay? It has a context. You see, what he's about to say is directly related to what he has already talked about. And so in order to fully grasp the meaning of these verses, you have to understand what Paul was talking about before these verses. So the context is super important to understand what Paul is getting at here. Now, this term, therefore, uh, can actually be translated as in light of. Like, like in light of the, what I just said, right? Or it can be can translated as because, like because of all the things I just talked about. Yeah, that's what it means. In fact, if you take verse 1, you can actually read verse 1 this way. I appeal to you, therefore, or I appeal to you in light of everything I just talked about, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Okay, that's what therefore means. And so what Paul is saying here is that, that these two verses, okay, and really the last part of the, uh, of the book of Romans is directly related to everything else that he talked about in the first 11 chapters of the letter. You see, one of the things that we know about the apostle Paul is that in his writings, he will typically do two things. First part is he takes the first part of the letter and he deals with theology. He talks about what you need to know, what you need to believe. And then he usually spends the last part of the letter dealing with application. What do you do now, now that you know or now that you believe? Which is exactly what's happening here. Paul spends 11 chapters. He's teaching doctrine and theology. And then he spends the last five chapters on application. And what do you do with this theology? And the transition point between the first part and the second part is this word. Therefore, and so in essence, what he's saying is in light of all the theology, in light of everything I talked about in the first part of this letter, here is what you need to do with it. Or in other words, okay, now that you know that, all right, here's what you need to do with that, which is if you're, if you've been around, you know, that that's how I normally try to end a sermon. We try to move from theology to application. We try to go from knowing something and learning something to doing something with what we've learned. We take what we learn from the word of God and we apply it to our lives. And that's what Paul is trying to get us to do here. And what you have to understand is that everything after the word, therefore, in this letter is about what we're supposed to do in light of what we learned. And everything before that is, is what we're supposed to know and learn, you know, so that we know what we're supposed to do. And so, so this is an important idea because, because how are you actually going to know how to apply what Paul says? If, if this is the key to reading all of Paul's letters. When you see that word, therefore, you need to stop and back up and read everything before that. Okay? How are you going to know, right, how to apply what Paul is teaching in his letter if you don't know the underlying theology behind the teaching? That's why it's so important to read verses in context. Every verse in the Bible must be read and must be understood in context. Otherwise, the text doesn't mean what the author actually intended for it to mean. And that's actually actually the proper interpretation. The proper interpretation of the text is what the author intends for it to mean, not what you think it means, not what I think it means. It means what the author intended for it to mean. That's why you have to read every verse in context. And so this word, therefore, in this passage is extremely important to understanding this context. So the context of the verses one and two of chapter 12 is everything from Chapter 1 through chapter 11. That's the context of these verses. And so in order to apply and understand, we need to understand what Paul's talking about in the first 11 chapters of this, of this letter. Which, by the way, 
Okay, Romans is actually the best and most complete theological teaching on the gospel in the entire Bible. The book of Romans is how we really understand and wrap our heads around uh, the, the story of the gospel. In fact, this book of Romans opens up in chapter 1 with Paul reminding the Romans that the righteous live by faith. And the wrath of God will be poured out on all who are unrighteous. And he reminds the Romans that God is a judge. And he and his judgments are righteous and just. And the law of God is the standard. The law of God is the standard. He's going to judge us and everyone else. And he points out that guess what? Everyone has already fallen short of that righteous standard. We are all sinners. In fact, he says, it makes it very clear. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have all become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Paul makes it clear that everyone has failed to live up to God's glorious standard and that everybody is a sinner and that they are already condemned. And no one, no one can save himself by obedience to the law. You can't save yourself by your works. But instead, people only, as Paul says, are justified by the grace, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. You see, Paul makes it really, really clear that you must put your faith in Christ for your forgiveness of your sins to be saved. And he explains that this isn't even a new idea. That this, isn't, this idea has gone all the way back to... Uh, to, to to Abraham. It's never been about works of righteousness. In fact, he talks about how Abraham and his family, that the promises that were made to him were realized through faith. In fact, Abraham believed God. And because of that faith, that belief, he was counted righteous. And so, so peace with God can only come through faith. And Paul makes it clear that this isn't something, you know, that, that we do or deserve. In fact, he says in, in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That God loves us and Christ died for us before we're even capable of repenting. And then Paul goes on and talks about how that we as believers are now dead to sin and alive to Christ. And we're created in a new life in Christ. And we're no longer a slave to the law. And we're no longer slaves to sin. But we are now instead slaves to righteousness. Which means we can progressively grow and walk in holiness and obedience. Because we live a new life of the spirit. And because we're alive in the spirit, we are heirs with Christ to his coming kingdom. And we're awaiting a future glory. That's our hope, a future glory where everything will be so wonderful, all right, that the present suffering of this life and the trials we face will simply vanish and pale in comparison. Paul spends 11 chapters. Those 11 chapters are explaining the nuts and the bolts of the gospel to us. Paul talks about how God decided to have mercy on sinners like us, not simply to rescue us from hell, but to make us heirs with Christ. Okay, He talks about this wonderful truth, this glory hope and he lays it out for us all right all of this all of this is received by faith through god in christ and then paul says i appeal to you therefore in light of all of that in light of the gospel and everything i just said i appeal to you brothers by the mercies of god to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship now i want you to hear and understand what paul is saying here he's saying 
in light of this incredible beauty and magnitude of the gospel, in light of the fact that God loved you, though you're a rotten, broken sinner, in light of the fact that before you could even think about repenting, God showed his love for you by killing his own son, in light of that, in light of all of his mercies, I appeal to you, I beg of you, I implore you to do something about that. Okay, I appeal to you authoritatively. I appeal to you emotionally. I appeal to you in light of all that God has done for you. That if you know that, here's what you need to do with it. And what you need to do, what you need to do is you need to worship God. In light of everything God has done for you, you need to worship him. And the way that you need to worship him is you need to offer to him. You need to offer to God your body. In light of what God has done for you, you need to offer God your body. Not some dead animal sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. That is how you are to worship him. This is your spiritual worship. You are to worship God spiritually by offering your body to him as a living sacrifice. In light of everything, everything that God has done for you, that is what you are to do. That is how you apply this to your life. That is how you worship him by offering him your body as a living sacrifice to him. Now, let's look at a couple of things in this because there, there's a lot to talk about here. Okay. When it comes to worshiping God this way, to really get our understanding, the first thing we need to look at is what does it mean to present your body to God? Because that's how it's translated in the English Standard Version that we present our bodies to God like an offering. Okay, but in the new, te- but in the NIV, they, they actually use the word to to um, to offer instead of present. Okay, they're to offer our bodies like an offering, but really it's the same idea. And the idea here is that Paul is conveying is just really rooted in the Jewish sacrificial system that, that a priest would take a sacrificial animal and he would present it and offer it to God. It's like, God, this is given to you. This belongs to you, God. This is an offering, a sacrifice before you, God. It is yours. Do with it what you want, God. That's the idea. The idea of a sacrifice or an offering. Okay? It means to present something as a sacrifice to God. And so we see this imagery, and, and he, he says to take this imagery and apply that to our bodies. We're to offer for our bodies to God as a sacrifice. Like, Lord, here is my body. Okay, here is all of me. All right, do with what with me what you want to do, Lord. Everything that I am belongs to you, God, is really what he's conveying here. Now understand, God's not interested in your lifeless body. He's not interested in your skin. He's not interested in your bones. He's not interest, interested in your ligaments. He's not instru- interested in your blood. He's not interested in your fingernails. All right? God is not interested in your body for your body's sake. God is interested in what you actually do with your body. Okay? You understand that God is interested in what you do with your body. Because think about this. What is it that you do with your body? Everything. Everything you do, you do with your body. You see with your body. You touch with your body, you communicate with your body, you eat with your body, you work with your body, you hug your kids with your body, you pay your bills with your body, you experience road rage with your body, right? Everything you do in your life, you do with your body, you even think with your body because that's where your brain is. Everything you do, you do with your body, which means you were to offer to God your body. You were actually offering him everything that you do with your body. 
You have to understand that. Everything that you do with your body is to be an offering, a sacrifice to God. That's the point that Paul's making here. Everything you do in your life needs to be oriented toward God and his glory. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all, all to the glory of God. That's the point. Your body and everything you do with it is to be done with God in mind. It's to be done as an offering to him. It's done in a way that glorifies God. That means the way you eat needs to be an offering to God. The way that you work and behave needs to be an offering to God. The way that you raise your kids, the way you love your spouse, the way that you treat your family isn't just something you do. Isn't an obligation. It's an offering to God. The way that you do these things reflects on your devotion to God. The way that you talk to people, the way that you, you behave in traffic, the way that you treat people in Walmart on Black Friday. All right? That's coming up, right? That's supposed to be an offering to God. Think about that before you knock someone out for a TV. Just saying. The way you talk to people, the way that you treat people, everything you do in social media, everything you do on text or on the phone is supposed to be an offering to God. Everything you do in your life is supposed to be an offering, an act of worship to God. And I'm going to tell you, the phone thing is really what convicts me because I get, I get the telemarketers calling me all the time. And I tend to get downright rude, but like the last two months, I say, you know what? I can't help you with that, but I'm here to talk to you about Jesus. <laughs> Click. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> it's all supposed to be an offering to God, right? That's what Paul is saying, which means your actions and my actions should be shaped by that. Now, before you say, well, come on, that's impossible. That's just too much. But think about this. You were a broken, helpless, hopeless sinner destined to spend all eternity in hell. God owes you nothing, nothing, but God sent his perfect son to take the punishment for you, for your sins. So you could be free and become an heir with Christ. And you're telling me God isn't worthy of the very best that you can offer in your worship. You're telling me that God is not worthy of you living every part of your life in devotion to him. You're telling me that God isn't worthy of you making every, every, every effort to live for him. Paul says, in light of God's mercy and everything that he has done for you, in light of all of that, I'm asking you, I'm begging you, do everything you do with your body as an offering, an act of worship to God. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're, that's what we're called by God to do. Now, the next thing to look at here is, is this living sacrifice. What is, what is that? What is a living sacrifice? Because Paul makes a point to say living sacrifice as we present our bodies, right? But, but think about this. If, if he would have said, hey, just offer your body as a sacrifice to God, I don't think the Christians would have been signing up to go, well, we need to go to the altar and like commit suicide, right, and offer up our bodies that way. I don't think the Christians would have misunderstood him. But he makes a point to say a living sacrifice. Why would Paul do that, right? right? Well, there, there's some point for him to say living sacrifice. There's a reason why he said it. And the reason is simply this. When, when a priest kills an animal and offers a sacrifice... That's a one-time event, okay? The animal can only be killed one time, right? It's, it's a one and done. The animal is dead. But you, because you're alive, 
You don't offer your body to God just one time and then it's done, all right? Because you were alive, you were continually offering to God yourself, okay? This is something you do continually. You were to offer, your God, offer yourself to God, not just today, but every day, which actually echoes the words of Christ when he says in Luke 9, 23, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You see, what Paul is saying is you need to offer everything you do with your body to God, not just one time, but all the time. That's something that you need to do every day. You're to continually, day after day after day, present yourself, your body, and everything you do with it as a sacrifice to God. That is how you are to worship God. In light of everything he's done for you, you are to do that every single day. Do it every day in a way that glorifies God. That is your spiritual worship. Now, let's look at this, where it says here uh, about spiritual worship. Because I'm just going to tell you, this is where people get messed up. Okay? When it comes to spiritual worship and and worshiping, this is where people kind of get sideways. Because so many people want to separate things at this point. They think they want to separate faith, right? Their faith life from their work life. They want to separate social life from church life. They want to separate spiritual things from physical things. But let me just help you to understand what Paul is implying here. What he says... When he says to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, all right, and that this is your spiritual worship, what he is saying here is what you do with your body is spiritual. Everything you do with your body is spiritual and has spiritual consequences. There is no separation. What you do with your body is spiritual. How you dress is spiritual. How you treat other people is spiritual. How you treat your spouse and your in-laws, that is spiritual. It has spiritual consequences. Everything you do with your body has a spiritual dynamic to it. That's why what the Bible has to say about sex and sexuality and marriage is so important. Because it's not just simply a physical act. It has a spiritual component to it. It is spiritual. What you do with your body is spiritual. And you worship God spiritually by what you do physically. You have to understand that what you do with your body is, in fact, spiritual. And so in light of that, in light of what God has done for us, in light of the fact that that if everything that we do with our bodies has a spiritual dimension to it, in light of the fact that we spiritually worship God with what we do physically, in light of that, Paul says then, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In light of what God has done for you, do not allow the world to then begin to press you into a mold. That's what it means to be conformed. To press you into a mold and to shape you like the rest of the world. But instead be transformed, metamorphosis, transformed into something altogether different by the renewing of your mind. Because what he's saying here is that's exactly what the world does. The world wants to shape you. And press you into a mold. The world is trying to make you like the rest of the world. The world is telling you that, that, that people are basically good. The, the world is telling you that God isn't going to hold them accountable. The world is trying to tell you that if it feels good, then do it. Right? If your heart is in it then, it, then then your heart, whatever your heart tells you is good. Do what you want to do. The world is trying to get you to embrace materialism and selfism and postmodernism. The world is trying to get you to embrace a worldview that's centered on you and not God. The world's trying to, trying to get you to 
embrace an idea that the physical world and the spiritual world are separate things. It's trying to get you to embrace an idea that worshiping God at church you know, and the rest of your life are separate things. And many Christians actually buy into this idea. The world is trying to press you and to shape you into an image. But Paul says, do not be conformed. Do not be conformed by the world and what it does, but be transformed. The world, the, you know, this word transformed means metamorphosis. Okay? It, it's, it's, it's the same word that's used of caterpillars turning into butterflies. It's a complete transformation. You become something thoroughly and wholly different. You, you begin one way and you're transformed into something altogether different. You begin, begin your life as a member of this world, doing what the world does, right? Living your life as the world does, living for yourself, and you become transformed into something new. And this something is spiritually alive. This something doesn't live for itself anymore. You become something that worships God. And it's not just about singing, but it's the way that we actually live. In fact, you become so thoroughly transformed that, 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 when, that you even offer up your body and everything that you do with your body to God as living sacrifice. That's how transformed you become. You become transformed to the point that God and his glory become the most important thing in your life. You live your life in all that you do for God and his glory. Why? Because you've been transformed. Because in light of what God has done for you. Paul says, don't be conformed by this world. But be transformed. Right? And, 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 and the, the transforming is a result of the renewing or making new your mind. And, and, and this right here, there's a couple of things I want to wrap up with when it relates to this subject. The first thing I want you to kind of get your head wrapped around is, is the rock bottom importance of this statement. Because, because this statement is foundational, not just for worship, but for the entire Christian life. Because at the heart of the issue of the Christian life is, is that, that you have a renewed mind. You see, there's, there's something about your mind before that was old and dead. Okay? There was something about your mind that, that, that God had to actually turn the light switch on. He had to enlighten you. You were not able to see or appreciate or understand the things of God. You were not able to see your need for him. You were not able to see how he could help you. You were not able to understand what a relationship like him would be like. Your mind was dark, the Bible says. It was clouded. You were futile in your thinking. But then as we talked about God and the Holy Spirit illuminated your mind. He turned on the light switch so you can begin to see. Your mind was renewed with illumination of God. And, and you were able to finally see who you are. And you were able to see who God is and how your standing with God is going to end in disaster unless God fixes it. Right? And your mind was open to the truth of the gospel and, and, and that Jesus came to this earth. That he took your place on the cross and he died for your sins so that you could be spared the judgment of God. And so you could spend eternity with him. Where there is no more pain or tears or sorrow. God opened your mind to the truth. Your mind was renewed. And as a result, you became born again. The Christian life starts with the renewing of your mind. But that renewal doesn't actually stop with that. Because we don't stop living in this world. Okay? With all of its temptations and influences. Once we come into the light. Once we step into the light. The world begins to try to like pull us back into the darkness. The world wants to recapture our imaginations. The world wants to recapture our affections. It wants to take hostage our minds again. And Paul says to be conformed. Not, not to be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That it's an ongoing process. Well how do we do that? How do we renew our minds? Because it's. It's through the renewing that we get transformed. 
And it's through that transformation we're able to worship God spiritually by offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. So how do we do that? How do we renew our minds so we can worship God that way? Well, there's two things. Number one, you need to come to terms with an important fact that this text actually bears out. And that fact is, is that living, real living worship of God, the real living worship of God requires three things. All three things, body, mind, spirit. You see, you can't worship in spirit without your body. And you can't offer your body to sacrifice without the renewing of your mind. And the renewing of your mind isn't going to help you if you refuse to use your body to worship God, which is spiritual. You see, all these things, three things are interconnected. That's why Jesus took the time, you know, and, and, and he took the law and he applied it to our minds. That's why he said in Matthew 5, 27 through 28, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. That's something that you do with your body. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustful, with, with lustful intent, something you do with your mind, has already committed adultery with her in, her, in, in his heart. That's spiritual. You see, all of life, especially the Christian life, Involves all three. There is no separation. Everything is body, mind, and spirit. Every act you do, every thought you think, your work, your speech, all has ramifications that are physical, mental, and spiritual. There is no separating the three. You thought your life, you know, is connected. Your thought life is connected to the physical world. Your thought life is connected to the physical, in the world, real life whether it's singing, whether it's serving, or whether doing your job. Every physical activity has a spiritual dimension to it. All three of these things are linked. So number one, what you need to do is you need to embrace the truth that all of worship is physical, spiritual, and mental. And then number two, if you're going to renew your mind, then you must fix your mind on the very source of that renewal. You must fix your mind on God. You must continually keep your mind focused on God, whether you're at home or the football game or at a job interview or the classroom, whether you're alone, you know, or with your friends or whether you're, you know, you're going, you know, on your way or not. You must fix your mind on God. You must continually be reorienting yourself with God and, and, and the way that you so that way, that way, if you do that, when it comes to time to make decisions, you can ask yourself, how's this going to glorify God? Or when you find yourself in a tough situation, you can ask yourself, how can I best glorify God and worship him in this situation? Or when temptation comes to you, you can ask yourself, how can I live right before God in this situation in a way that glorifies him and keeps me clean? You must fix your mind on God. That is how you renew your mind is you stay focused on him. And the way that you do that as you do all the things that connect you to him. And we've talked about these things over and over and over again in the past. The way you keep your mind on God, the way you stay connected to him is through the seven spiritual disciplines that we've talked about many times. In fact, in a series we did a couple of years ago titled Resolve, the, the spiritual disciplines are reading and studying the word of God, staying connected to God through prayer, worship with your friends and fellow believers as a body, which, which means come to church, right? And then through community, which is staying connected to other believers outside of church, serving God's people with your time and your talent, being generous and living intentionally generous toward God 
And then final one is apologetics, which is learning to defend your faith, being able to stand firm against the tax against your faith. These spiritual disciplines, if you will make a point to practice these things in your life and exercise them in your life, they will connect you and keep your mind focused on God. They will help to renew your mind so that you can worship God the way that God is calling us to. But how do we, how do we do this? Now, in, 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 in light of this, right? Now that we know these things, what are you going to do about it, right? How do you take this and apply it to your life? And I actually have a couple of suggestions for you. Number one is is take a moment today and just write down an area in your life that you're not fully worshiping God with your body and your actions. Maybe it's work, okay? Maybe you, you you don't worship God with your actions at work. In fact, maybe what you're doing at work is the opposite, of, of worship, right? Maybe it's a school. Maybe, you know, when you're driving down the 14 uh, into Lancaster and people keep cutting you off, maybe you need some help there, right? Maybe it's at home, right? With your kids because they're making you crazy, right? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe, you know, it's that alone time that you have when nobody's around and you're, it's you and your electronic device and your computer and you're tempted to look at things you're not supposed to look at. Okay, identify the area in your life that you're not fully worshiping God. And then number two, identify how you're going to change that. Okay, maybe you just need to pray more before work. Lord, help me to worship you at work. Maybe you need to start the day spending some time in the word of God. Maybe you need to be in church more consistently around God's people. Maybe you need to be plugged into a small group. Maybe you need to listen to worship music or audio sermons while you're driving so you're less tempted to give people that one finger salute. Okay. How are you going to keep God at the central focus of your mind, right? How are you going to do that? That that, that will change your behavior in this area. And then number three, this is the hard one, but this is the one that you have to do. That's commit. Don't just talk about it. Don't just think about it. Don't go, man, you know, that was a good sermon. That really convicted me. Yeah, I'll think about that some other day. No, commit to it. Do something about it. Don't talk about it. Commit to it and do it. Okay? Walk the walk exactly right. If you want to honor God with how you live your life, then you need to commit to it and do it. That right there, those three steps are your homework for this week. And I'm not expecting for you to be perfect. God's not expecting for you to be perfect. But he's expecting for you to take seriously and walk in that direction. And I, like the Apostle Paul, appeal to you, therefore, in light of all that God has done for you, I appeal to you to sell out for Jesus and worship him and worship him by using your body and everything you do is an act of worship. Do not let yourself be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do that because God is worthy of that. Do that because you know what God did to save you and what he saved you from. And he is worthy of the very best of worship you have in every area of your life. Do that because God is supremely worthy. Let me pray for you. Father God, I confess. I spent a lot of time thinking about you. I spent a lot of time in the word with you. But there's still areas, Lord, I struggle to worship you. I get caught off guard. Sometimes people come at me the wrong way and, you know, instead of stopping and asking, how can I worship God in this situation? 
Sometimes I just want to kind of give people back what I'm getting. Sometimes I just want to be impatient. Sometimes I feel like I'm so busy doing ministry stuff, I forget that it's about people. Father, I just pray that you convict all our hearts of this, that we would begin to examine our lives, whether it's how we, we raise our kids, whether it's how we work, whether it's how we do school, how we interact with our friends, how we interact with, with uh, just things, substances that can addict us, whether it's, 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 it's whatever it is, Lord, whether it's our money, that, Lord, that we would look at every area of our life and we'd examine it one piece at a time and we'd ask, how can we glorify you and worship you with that? That we would submit our hearts to you every day. You know, one of the difficult things of, of a living sacrifice that has a tendency to crawl off the altar, Lord, will help us every day to, to, to die to ourselves and put ourselves back on that altar and submit our hearts and our bodies and our minds and our spirits to you, Lord. And I pray, Father, for this congregation, Lord, that you would raise up a, co- a people in this congregation who are hungry for you, passionate for you, who want to know your word, who want to go out and storm the gates of hell and, and save the lost, Lord. I pray, Father, that you are glorified in all that we say and do. I pray for all the families that are here. I pray for those, Lord, that, that I realize that there's so many people here who've been through so many things. I just praise you for the victories in their life, but I also pray that you'd meet them in their needs because there's still a lot of needs. I pray, Father, that you'd meet every person where they need to be met today and that, Father, you'd provide for them a way to, to move forward with their life and that they would draw closer to you and they'd glorify you. And Father, that as a congregation, Lord, that we would glorify the name of Christ. And we love you and praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.